Well, that was just a little bit of a photo, um, yeah, slideshow of the trip. So hard to pack so much of a trip into just a short slideshow. If you're wondering what this is, this is called a kalpak. Can you say that word? Kalpak? Kalpak, there we go. Learned a bit of Kyrgyz in your first one minute of this morning. So, uh, so this is just a traditional hat from Kyrgyzstan. And um, basically, if you're a white person walking on the street, people assume you're Russian. If you're wearing a kalpak, then people are very interested. So if you want to reach out to the local Kyrgyz people, buy yourself a kalpak. So our Kyrgyz, uh, Kyrgyzstan and Turkey trip was two weeks long. Uh, we spent one week in Kyrgyzstan and one week in Turkey. Our first week in uh, Kyrgyzstan was, um, it, it was under the program that the missionaries are running there called the One Week Intensive, and it was intense. We, um, we went through a whole lot of um, classes uh, looking at Islam and Muslims, um, the culture of the greater Central Asia area, um, the church, what is the church, how does the church reach into these places, who are unreached people groups, um, language classes. Uh, there's just a whole lot that was packed into the, week, into the week from our very first day. They had to try and keep us awake as long as possible just so that we could fit in with the time zone. Um, but uh, we were just hosted so well by the uh, team over there, and we're just so grateful. Um, I think well, one important thing that we really learned uh, over that one-week trip in Kyrgyzstan was that, um, was that we, we got to learn how to share the gospel with people in that part of the world um, out of a place of uh, being with Jesus. And, um, and we learned a few techniques uh, on broad sowing, which is going out and meeting people on the streets, which we did. We did uh, some broad sowing during the day and some at night. Uh, the, and some of those pictures actually came out of that time, but it was it was so cool to uh, to be in a place of meeting with Jesus and hearing from Jesus, and then going out and people. And somebody like myself, who's ordinary uh, ordinarily very timid in situations like that and a bit uh, apprehensive, it was it was actually quite easy. You realize that just the yoke of Jesus is light and it is easy and that his call is not a big call. It's a simple yes and it's a simple yes to go out. And that one week was just such an incredibly rich, I think that's the word I always keep going back to. It was such a rich time and the, the people that are doing work in that part of the world right now are just doing an exceptional job. They really are, um, they're, they're living into that area and they're ministering the gospel out of a place of being with Jesus. It was just such a beautiful um, thing to witness and a thing to be a part of and we learned so much from that time. Um, got to experience some of the cultural quirks of Kyrgyzstan as well, like um, horse milk is a normal thing in diet <laughs> and in ice cream. We had horse milk ice cream. It was very interesting. Uh, speak to me later if you want to know more about the horse milk. Got some stories for you on that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, what, what were some of the other cultural quirks of Kyrgyzstan? I'm trying to remember. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go there on a Sunday morning. <laughs> if you want to learn more about the horses, come speak to one of us. <laughs> but Kyrgyzstan is really a beautiful country. It's a beautiful culture, and the language is very interesting. And, um, and it was really just such a privilege to go there and have a lot of, at least for me, a lot of my expectations completely reshifted around Central Asia, what I thought Central Asia was like. Um, you know, you, you hear any country in Central Asia that has the word Stan at the end, and you immediately think war in Afghanistan, 
warlords smuggling cocaine and kidnapping people. But, uh, but actually, that's just not the reality on the ground. And it's not necessarily the reality on the ground for a lot of those star nations. They're, they're people like you and I who just want peace. And a lot of them are living under this cultural oppression of Islam. And they just need to be led out of it into the gospel, into the kingdom. And, uh, and it was incredible in our broad sowing time just experiencing uh, the interest when you mention that you are a Christian and kind of their faces light up. And this is probably, probably the first time ever that they've met someone who actually believes in the prophet Isa, which is, which is mind-blowing to a lot of people out there. And uh, a lot of conversations open up and um, are taken up again by the team that is doing work there, which is really, really incredible. Got to meet a, a lady who you would have seen in one of those uh, photographs from a really small minority group in Kyrgyzstan, which kind of spans over Kazakhstan and a bit of China. And, um, and just coming face to face with people who are from groups as small as the, there's a group, I can't remember the name of it, but we, we learned about these small groups, the one... Uh, night where there are only 400 people in that people group and they're somewhere in like the depths of Kazakhstan somewhere and I don't know if any of us will ever meet them and I don't know if any of us will ever be able to reach them with the gospel like they're just out there but they need to be reached so so that's the Kyrgyzstan trip very uh, very um, condensed because there was just so much um, our trip to Turkey was two and a half days in Istanbul and another three odd days in Antakya and, um, and I think in Istanbul was just incredible to experience a lot of the rich history of that region, um, going to places like the Hagia Sophia and the Blue Mosque and, and just seeing all the Roman uh, ruins from around that area and the, and, uh, the Ottoman Empire. It was just really incredible. You, you read a lot of the stuff in your Bible and then you get to experience a lot of it. You realize, oh, these were real places and real people and real uh, systems of government and kingdoms and everything going on. And just experiencing that was, was just so, so incredible. Uh, Istanbul has way too many people, though. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're, we're doing one of the tourist, uh, touristy areas in the old area of Istanbul. And there were, uh, our tour guide said, yeah, one cruise ship drops off about 200 buses of people. And we really experienced that. It was just like, oh, my goodness, people everywhere. But, uh, but it was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then we, um, we spent some time in the Every Nation Church um, with Brian and Marilyn, who Francois and Ingrid met a couple of years ago, and that was our connection into Turkey. And we have prayed for them a couple of times here on a Thursday night prayer. And it was just so, it was just so refreshing meeting people that you've been praying for um, countless times. And, and I was just like, Brian, I get to meet you. I've prayed for you, and now I get to meet you. And he was just so appreciative of, um, of this house and our prayers going out to them. And, uh, and then we left with uh, Brian and a local guy, Aram. Um, sorry, maybe I can just rewind. But Aram is a young Syrian. Uh, I don't know if anyone's going to share about him. But, um, but just briefly, he, uh, he, w- he lived in Aleppo when the fighting started. And just his story is just absolutely incredible story of God's favor and protection over a family, but just so traumatizing. Um, I think we, we, we just don't know what people in the Middle East are going through right now, and to pick a side in any war and any, uh, any aggression is, is really just foolish on our part when the individual is going through so much. But God rescued Aram, and his story, I mean, here's this 21-year-old who's telling me that 
yeah, perhaps like going through all the bombing and stuff taught me a lot of humility and character. And I'm like, <laughs> taught you humility and character. And he's just this soft-natured but on-fire kid who just wants to preach the gospel. His dream is to one day go back to Aleppo. And, uh, and that was just, it was just incredible. So it was with Brian Aram and a Syrian, uh, Jordanian pastor named uh, Sharif and our team. We went down to Antakya, which in your Bible is Antioch. And uh, it was just, it was just, I think, incredible being in an old city that, uh, that the early church was birthed in. That was an incredible experience, but also experiencing the recent um, the aftermath of the earthquake. Many of you may know nine months ago they experienced a massive earthquake in Antakya in that region. And um, officially they say 50,000 people died, but the locals believe it's over 100,000 people. And uh, 200,000 buildings destroyed or damaged. Um, right now they've really just cleared out the buildings that collapsed. The rest of the buildings that are standing, you just can't live in them. And you would have seen some of those photographs. Um, and you, you go into that area and you just, you realize there are families who, uh, we met some of them, f- people who had lost entire families, not just extended family, their own personal family, children, spouses, and uh, they're now just living in tents and in containers, and they're just trying to figure out life. There's no functioning city there anymore. There's no industry. There's no work. People are just, they're just waiting. They've got an impending winter coming up, and uh, and that's that's their next big worry is getting through winter. And, uh, and that's just the local Turks. I haven't even mentioned the Syrians who escaped the war and are now living in tents and then went through the earthquake and are still living in tents and are facing just the prejudice of Turkish people. And it's just, it's just crazy. It's absolutely crazy that people are having to endure all of that. Um, and so, but amid all that, we met a group of Christians. His name is Paul, which I was like, Paul in Antioch? This, this is getting interesting. And he pioneered a work there simply out of God telling him to go. He was a U.S. Marine, and he was on the verge of committing suicide in Afghanistan, and he had the gun against his head, and he said, God, if you're real, I need you to tell me. And, uh, and God spoke to him. And uh, through a series of events, led him to Turkey. And then when the earthquake happened, he knew, he knew he had to be in the earthquake area. And he's pioneered this area, which, uh, this little project, which we call the base camp. And it's really, he lives on a prayer. And legitimately, I think we arrived as an answer to prayer because they don't know how they're going to pack all the food parcels. They don't know how they're going to pack all the sanitary parcels. They don't know how they're going to build the next container homes. And then people, teams just arrive and they serve their role, they do their thing, and then they leave again. And uh, it was just incredible to see God almost leading that whole process. And so they're building container homes for people. They're trying to get out as many as they can before the winter. And they are um, they're packing food parcels for over 3,000 people, food and sanitary parcels for over 3,000 people. And, uh, and there is Paul who leads this little midweek church for the volunteers that are there. If they're not there, then it's just him and his uh, Turkish helpers and, uh, and some of the, his friends that are co-leading the thing with him. He's just built a little um, life center, which he believes will be used for their, uh, not just their current music lesson classes, which they're running, but, uh, but I think he hasn't quite verbalized it, but you can see deep down inside, he sees a church planted in that region. 
and it was just incredible to see God, God's doing his thing. Nobody's running the show. Nobody's pulling the strings. Um, we, we went and visited a Syrian refugee camp, and just as quick as we were kicked out, all the children from the camp emptied and followed us anyway, so it was just an absolute party. Um, <laughs> the, those children, they're, they're just they're so precious, but, uh, but they need help. They, they need help, and it was, it was actually refreshing to meet at the base camp a Norwegian couple who had just come back from northern Iraq, and they go specifically into refugee camps, into children's camps, and they put on plays and productions for them. And seeing them there was really encouraging. I, th- I think God is perhaps stirring something in them for those camps that are currently in, in the Antakya area. And, uh, and yeah, I, I don't quite have much more to say, only that it was just an absolute privilege to be there. And... Uh, bit of an answer to pray for myself going on this trip and uh, didn't really know what God was going to do with it. Uh, still trusting for that, but it was just incredible to see God is, God is working with or without us, but he wants to work with us. And uh, it, was, it was a privilege just to play a part in a small way. Um, it's not a long-term trip, I know that, but just to play a part in a small way is just, uh, it's just such a privilege. And yeah. Janice is up next. Miss Janice. (laughs) Miss Janice was her travel name. Somehow I got that name. I'm bringing back a good report. They looked after me very well. Thank you. The team did. So I'm just looking around and thinking what a beautiful church family we have here. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us. I felt this was as much your journey as ours. Um, And many of us here pray for the global church and for the suffering church. And they ask us, and I had asked God that the day before. I felt him say into my heart, I want to show you what I'm doing. And I believe that that was to be an encouragement um, for us to persevere in prayer because we saw God at work. You've heard Jesse's stories through people he'd called from so many nations in both Turkey and Kyrgyzstan. He'd equipped them, he'd prepared them. And I believe that what we saw was just a microcosm of what he's doing across the earth in all of the nations. Um, He is building his church. He is advancing his kingdom and it's through ordinary people people who are filled with the Spirit and surrendered to Jesus. So I want to share three quick stories that were, to me, God just displaying his work amongst the people in the big and the small. So the first was our visit to a mosque in Bishkek. So the men were allowed into the main section, and the women went around to a little back entrance into a much smaller area. We covered our heads, we took our shoes off, we did the right things, and as we entered, I said to the worker who was with us, this feels like such a holy moment. And we were able to go right into a mosque. Um, I just need to find my place. And to pray in a mosque, and we know there are many like them, across the earth where our fellow human beings are praying to a God who is not kind, who offers no love, no hope, who demands so much and never offers any assurance that what they do will ever be enough. And we could pray there that our God 
would make himself known to them. And so, such a privilege for that. So, while we were there, Ingrid noticed a young girl looking at her. There weren't a lot of women there. Um, and Ingrid gave a little wave. And the girl kind of scooted over to her. And then with the help of Google Translate, they were, she was able to find out that she was a student and she wanted to speak to her, but she didn't have enough English. So Ingrid called the worker over who was with us and they had a conversation in Kyrgyz. And they exchanged numbers and to arrange further conversations. And she was clearly a seeker and she would have known that we were not Muslims. So it was like this was God in his sovereign power and love arranged that meeting at that time in that place, forming connections that could be made so that this young girl will get to hear the beautiful truths of the gospel. And you just have to stand in awe of a God who will do that for one soul. So we ask you to pray for her and pray for the workers um, in time that she will come to know Jesus. The second story was in Antakya, ancient Antioch, where the devastating earthquake had occurred. Just so many stories of pain and loss, but that also is fertile ground for the story of a God of hope. Um, so we went to the tent camp there. Um, it was mostly Syrian refugees, and the rest of the group decided to walk up a hill to see if they could find cave churches in the rock and pray. Um, and while I decided to stay down, I'd lost my voice since I wasn't feeling terribly strong that day, and I thought I'll just sit in the shade above the camp and pray. And while I was sitting there, these three Turkish ladies came along, and they were picking olives. So the lady was like beating the tree with a rake, and then the olives would fall, and then I just started helping pick them up and put some in each one of their bags. But I felt a connection between us, and we tried to communicate, but I, there was obviously a huge language problem. But later that afternoon, when we were connecting with the children, as um, Jesse mentioned, I saw them, about two of the ladies, about 20 meters away and I just sort of waved to them and called to them to come to us and then I introduced them to Brian who speaks Turkish fluently and it was these women that invited us into their home. Um, it was so humbling really. Um, they'd lost their homes, they'd lost everything um, and as Jesse mentioned the one lady had lost seven of her relatives, a daughter, grandchild, and others as well. But this meal that they prepared for us, um, and we were able to listen to their stories of suffering and loss, and I think that in itself was helpful. They saw our compassion, I think. Um, and Brian had told them that we were Christians, and so they let us pray for them. And we then found out that Paul, who Jesse mentioned, had taken parcels into the camp, so they knew him. So God had already connected them with one Christian. Okay, so we just saw how God was powerfully weaving situations and people for these beautiful souls could he to hear his truth. So please can we pray for them two beautiful ladies that one day we'll see them in heaven. Lastly and quickly, because I think I'm running out of time, was attending Brian and Marilyn's church 
Every Nations Church in Istanbul. I, I was overcome with emotion. Um, as we entered, the worship team was practicing. We were a little bit early, was practicing the last song that they would be singing in worship, and it was holy forever. And the worship was beautiful. The presence of God was powerful and tangible. And the team, the worship team, included a person from Panama, a father and son from the Philippines, a girl from Korea, a Syrian refugee, and two Nigerians. And we were told that there were 30 nations represented in this church, and including people like from Congo, Gabon, Pakistan, Afghanistan, New Zealand, Taiwan, um, and many others. I felt like God whispered to me in that moment, what he had said before, I brought you here to show you what I'm doing across the nations. And I believe that this is a call to us to persevere in praying. Um, and may he guide us in how this beginning, this trip, can be maintain its momentum into what he has for us for the future. So thank you. Okay, so that was Granny Janice. That's prophetic. You received that? So what's your excuse? I mean, she kept up. She worked, she ran on five hours sleep. I mean, I have a huge respect for Janice. I've got a huge respect and it was an honor to go with each person from this fellowship who are just ordinary people who said yes to go. I said yes to go because I had no excuse to say I can't go, <laughs> to be honest. But I also wanted to go to a place I'd never been before. And uh, I'd never been to Asia. And um, there's a lot of rewiring we have to do in our brains when we come from the West and the way we do church. And yeah, warning, knowledge puffs up. Only what's done for Christ will last and only our relationship with him and the empowering of the Holy Spirit will see us through so I don't want you to get bored and comfortable so who's got their Bible let's see it okay now do me a favor put it under your chair who's got a cell phone with an app with a Bible on it quick let's see yeah okay put it under your chair okay now shift to the edge of your chair right to the edge, almost falling off. Okay, now are you ready to share the gospel? Without your Bible and without your app, only what's implanted in you can overflow and come out. And when you go into Central Asia, it's like sitting on the edge of your seat. You have to trust the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you in the next step. You can't whip out your Bible if you pull out your phone, it's for Google Translate to try and connect. You can't witness to people under 17 or under 18 in Turkey. But you have the love of Christ. And that comes from overflow. And so it was a privilege. It was an honor to be with fellow Red Pointers, um, to be in the trench. But to be honest, I think... We went as spas. 
it was a bit like that. You know, if you read the letter that we got about going and what you can't do this and not that, and no, we felt like spies. And I mean, you're going to the Russians. Vladimir! <laughs> I mean, that's what it's like. They're like cold, abrupt, harsh people, to be honest. It's a bit scary. And we just flew in under the radar with all of these don'ts. You know, don't do this. Don't use the M word. We're all W's, workers. We're not missionaries, you know. Don't talk about church. Don't talk about the But you can talk about Jesus. Why? Because there's a prophet, Esau. And they all know him. They just have no relationship with him. And so, such a rich time, as Jesse said. Just a correction, 300,000 people in Takia is what they said. Um, it's... it's in distress, people are open. So let's not run for comfort. Um, let's look with spiritual eyes, see what's God doing in the distress, in these harsh things which are unacceptable. But God is working. So in, in Kyrgyzstan, um, we had the privilege of being taken through this intense week, which was intense, but it had a rhythm that was relaxed and calm. And it was like, almost like we needed to linger in the things of God. And every morning started with abiding time, which was so sweet. We had one person, male or female, they were equipped in Christ equally. Okay, um, We received from 23-year-olds to 40-year-olds to moms with babies carrying six months old. And it gave us this beautiful picture of what it means to be totally surrendered before God. Thy will, not my will. What does total devotion look like? We saw that. When the Bible says to lose your life is gain, we saw what joy and freedom looked like. We saw what the abundant life looked like. Are you getting excited about going? You know, all of this stuff that traps us. What are the barriers that are holding you back from a simple yes? Just say, I'm going. Just today, sort in your heart, you're going. Where it doesn't matter, just go. A pastor from the Assemblies of God in the States gave us a testimony of how he was denied the call on his life to go. Through structure, through being vetted, are you adequate, have you studied enough theology, and he didn't go and he became a pastor. As a pastor and a senior person, 59, now leading in the full gospel church, they've had a total rethink and they're just encouraging people to go and trusting God to do a work. And it's released a harvest of laborers into the field. So don't, don't overcomplicate it. It's just simple yes simple go which is actually called obedience and we saw that so beautifully if I look at the quality of Christians in the field unbelievable every single one of them could be pastoring this church but they're there to plant a church in an unreached people group they are learning a language 26 hours a week that's hard work we did it for one hour and our brains were doing backflips you know we, we, we were told that we were smart so we, we did pass but the love of Jesus through them to us 
They served us. They hosted us in their homes. Um, there's no church building. It's in homes. It's in third floor basement. Um, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And it's like, okay, every single person has to be engaged. Every single person. There is no opportunity to sit and watch. You have to be crying out to God as to, for his Holy Spirit to work through you. You know, when I thought of this morning, I could have stood here and prayed thankfulness for everything God had taught us, and you would have got the message. I can stand here and read just scriptures, and it will tell you everything that we witnessed. We serve a mighty, mighty God. Um, so in these Ibad times, we literally had somebody challenge us on some questions to ponder deeper in God. And then we had an hour, hour and a half, purely to quietly sit and hear from God. And only then, out of the overflow of that, were we invited into the day's challenge. We had no idea of what was happening the day after, only tomorrow. And you had to be flexible. Things change. But that's the exciting part. That's why you need to be on the edge of your seat. Because if you're not, you're probably in control. And this has got nothing about you being in control. This is about God being in control and you walking obediently to what he's called you into. And it's so exciting because that's how you meet the people of peace. That's how you put yourself in a mosque and have somebody open to someone come and talk to you. And, and it was like we were in the church in Acts where the Holy Spirit came upon people and they were out um, sowing seeds. So what did I learn in sowing seeds and in this time of going out? It's like, First of all, we're not to inspect the soil and judge it. We are to sow seeds, and based on the quality of the soil, there will be a harvest. Think about that. In, in our world, we, yeah, think about that. Secondly, when we were challenged about sowing, it's Jesus early, Jesus often. Jesus at the center of every conversation. We were challenged within the first sentence of meeting someone to make sure it's absolutely clear that we're a Christian. And the, the, the drive on that is that imagine if you build relationship with somebody and then you tell them the most important thing six months later, they're going to go like, dude, like, I mean, that can't be that important. But if you're sharing the most important thing up front the most important and, and that was key early often in our conversations with anybody we meet the, the next was anyone anytime any place Jesus early Jesus often just remember that let it challenge you here and now when you walk out and you see someone we've got the best news to share. And that's the challenge for me. It's like, we're always trying to, you know, don't offend this person, don't they? Now you're there with a Muslim person who has no comprehension of sin and guilt. It's not in his paradigm. It's like, how do you share the gospel to someone who has no paradigm of sin? So the challenge is we need to practice. We need to prepare ourselves because shame and honor are the big thing in, in the Muslim space. And they'll 
steal from you and if they don't get caught, it's fine. But if they got caught, it would bring shame to their family. And they do things out of honor. So they honor distinction. Islam versus the Muslim. The Muslim's a lovely person. He's Jesus. You can't get a Muslim saved. It's not going to happen just in one minute. It's a journey. Because there's such a, a big work that God needs to do in their lives to take them on a journey to faith. Because they have to give up so much and so much persecution. So I, I trust, you know, if any of you have any questions about going, about getting excited, you need to get fired up, just come talk. Just come talk. Don't put any preconceived idea in your mind about cost, about can I this, can I that. Just say, Lord, I'm going. And trust God to do a work in your heart that will put you on a totally different trajectory. The task is great. The task is great. That's the report we bring back. The unreached people groups are huge. Francois is going to talk to that. Only what we do for him will last. Help that rewire. There is no ambition in Christ. Ish. Process that one. It's actually not about us. Are you willing to live in obscurity for Jesus? These are big things. In the West, we sit comfortable. You go there, you get challenged. So I don't know what that means for me. It's a lot to process, believe you me. But I know that I'm on a journey, and I trust you are too. And make sure going is part of your journey. It may be the key. We've been commanded to pray. Got a fresh revelation of that. God does the work. He's called us to pray. He's commanded us to love and be obedient. And it's simple. Thank you. I'm wearing my funky Kurgi slippers. I'll tell you a bit about them <laughs> just now. Um, but um, Stephen was talking about abiding times. And just in one of the times we did, we spent a time in Acts um, 10. So I'd like to just use that as a bit of a framework as I report back. Um, Acts 10 talks about a man called Cornelius. And he was a centurion, um, which means that he was a Gentile. He had 100 uh, soldiers under him. But it speaks about him being a man that... that um, that prayed to God. There was something of a hunger. So um, Steve also mentioned the people of peace, which is what um, the, the guys in Bishkek spoke about, that God is busy. I think that's something that's come through over and over again. Like Cornelius was a man. He didn't have the full picture, but God was on him. God saw him. And that was a lesson we saw. God sees individuals, and he's at work way before you get there. He's at work in the person across the desk from you, across the street from you, across the ocean from you. God is at work. He's not willing that any should perish, and he's drawing them to himself. Um, and so we saw with Cornelius that God gave him a vision because he needed a, because he needed to he needed to have a, a way of knowing God more fully. And we saw in the Islamic nation that about a third of the people that come to faith in Jesus will have had a vision of Isa or something that that makes them to seek more um, to know who who Jesus is. 
Um, many stories have already been shared, so I'm not going to um, speak more about that. But I also saw in this Acts 10 portion, it speaks about a team of people that was required, a series of events that had to happen before Cornelius and his household came to faith in Jesus. He, he was told by an angel, first of all, to, he sent two of his servants to go and find Paul, uh, um, Peter. There was a soldier that had to go along together with them, to, obviously to protect them. There was um, Simon, who was um, at the tanner that was hosting Peter. Uh, Peter had to have a change in his mindset. And then there was a group of the saints at Joppa that had to go together with them to see what God was doing. So I think that's, this is something that's come through again, is just the team, the importance of team. We're not doing this thing alone, and it's beautiful to see the diversity of the people that God uses. Um, already has been spoken about the live dead guys in Bishkek, but they, we were blown away. These are, these are some individual single um, young people, but they were families, families with five, four, three, two children, um, just passionate, all on board, as has been said, like ladies on board, I went broad sewing with one lady, and she had a little baby, six, five, six-month baby in a pouch. And there we were, just going out into the streets and engaging with, with people. It's just, a ma- you know, there's like no excuse. They were, you know, pouring themselves into language learning, just something incredibly beautiful. We met this very interesting couple, and that's where my slippers come in. Um, um, I'll just say the S and K, just for, to protect their identity. But the, the guy would go into these local um, um, baths, but they were actually like saunas, like very high intensity heat thing. And there he would just engage with with the local men. This guy was an ex drug addict. He had been in prison before for pushing drugs, and here he is. He's come to faith in Jesus, and he's out there engaging with the people. And then he and his wife would go out into the villages around Bishek, and they would um, ask for any people that are artisans. And this is this is Miriam made my slippers, um, and her husband makes yurts, which are these tents, and this couple then helped them to market their things and help to get tourism on the go, but then they also invited into their homes, and they have meals together with them, and they can share the gospel, and it's a beautiful thing that's happening. Um, and then um, the next, uh, oh yes, and just, yeah, that our team that went has already been said, the guy that's uh, with us there with a the skateboard, he's Mark, he's from New Zealand, married to a Taiwanese, but he just came there, he came equipped with his, with his skateboard, like what have you got in your hands, you know, he came with a skateboard and he skated into that Syrian um, village, the refugee camp, and the kids came like a magnet, or the other young guy came with his guitar, he was swamped by kiddies, but he, he came ready, you know, with what have you got in your hands to give beautiful. And then at the base camp um, there, in that picture, we're not doing drugs there. (laughs) That's washing powder that's being packaged. (laughs) We had to package them. But in that thing there, on the uh, right-hand side was a young girl, a young lady who's, um, she's originally Polish, but living in Austria. Across from her is a guy from Guatemala, young, young chap who's studying engineering. Next to him is a lady from Brazil, beautiful, beautiful lady. She and her husband and daughter have planted a church somewhere else in Turkey. And so it goes on and on. There was Paul that you've spoken about already, a U.S. Marine guy. And then just the picture at the bottom is just people. You just need to go there with the skills that you have in your hand. Needed people to put together these, these containers, serve in the kitchens to, f- serve, to serve food to people. You know, there's just, just what have you got in your hands um, to give? If you've got Jesus inside of you, you've got a treasure. Um, and then just the, the last points out of that Acts 10 thing is Peter. Peter had a number of, he, he, was a gen, he was a Jew, and in his mind, 
um, the gospel was about the Jews, and he had to have prejudices um, changed. And we've all had that, even on this trip, just God breaking down prejudices that we had. And maybe for ourselves, um, the prejudice may be that it's only full-time people that go, or only super spiritual people that go. But you've seen, it's ordinary men and women. And maybe we have prejudices that it's, it's only like, uh, it's like a parachurch should do it, or only this, um, this apostolic move or that denomination. And I just, you know, we actually have to get rid of those prejudices and take hands together because it's through um, us loving one another that the world will know that the Father God loves them and sent his son Jesus, for, um, you know, for them. And all the prejudice about Islam is just not time, but that needed to be broken down. But just um, what God said to Peter was, God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And this, this one, um, one statement that I read in one of my abide times was, missionary Jesus knew what it was to swim against the tide which would monopolize the gospel, shackling it to the favored family few. And how do we do that? We shackle sometimes the gospel through our just keeping it because we, we, to those where it's comfortable or um, just having our prejudices. And so my prayer is just really that we would, that the gospel would be unshackled really in, in our everyday life, in our going, and that Christ will be glorified. Cool. Okay, so I've got to wear my Kalpak as well. Um, you may have noticed it's a slightly different color. So according to the color of your age, you, you grew up. So he actually started with a blue one, and then he realized it and bought a brown one for slightly more mature, and then the most mature gets the black one. So, <laughs> so but it is just, um, it's been an incredible privilege um, to have gone, and it's really been for us, uh, for me in particular, just a dream of many years in the making, you know, come true. And to have had the privilege to see God at work in the nations around the world because God has put a deep desire and a longing within myself and Ingrid just to see the unreached people or the inconveniently lost. You know, there's the conveniently lost that are around us that we can reach, but the inconvenient is where it really is, is a greater price for you to go and to see and these unreached peoples of the world. And it was just um, such an incredible um, gift from God. And so I thought... We are in the series of the goodness of God and, and this whole experience that we have had the privilege and you with us to share in this, this is, is this another picture of the goodness of our God, of how good he is, that he is at work around the nations of the world and that we have got this privilege of being invited into that story and play our part. It's, there's no greater joy than that. And, uh, and I, I just thought, as I thought about this, it, it literally, for me, was like I was living in Psalm 126. <coughs> Which says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Just think of that, your dreams, seeing, you know, people that Jesus died for come to faith. It's incredible. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues were songs of joy. It was literally like that, like Janice was saying. It is so overwhelmed 
by the goodness of God. And then it was said among the nations. We could see it. The Lord has done great things for us. And in your testimonies, indeed, the Lord has done great things for us. And we are full to joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in a gift. And it says, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will will return with rejoicing, carrying sheaves with them. And that's the testimony that we brought back. The people of God are actually returning, even those in the harshest conditions of self-sacrifice and that carrying sheaves of just the reward of souls that um, we have the privilege of sharing in and taking part of. And so it was this is an incredible honor and, and a treasure for us to have been able to go and to see actually the hand of God at work. And like I put it here, this breathtakingly beautiful. To see this is what God is doing, both of the people there, the testimonies of people that we've, that we've heard of, um, that is just overwhelming how God would protect people, like was mentioned, the family, little young guy from a family in, in Aleppo was there, nine years old, when the war started. And the amount of um, situations that they'd gone through where God miraculously, supernaturally saved their lives. <clears throat> Bombs destroying places where he had just played on a, on a playground, sort of in the garden outside being called inside in a bomb land just where he was standing. <laughs> and then God taking him through from nine years old, not allowed to go to school ever again, actually, now 21. But the experiences, the things that they've had from, from there to next, eventually ending up in a refugee camp, all the things they're being beaten by, by imams, for not praying, you know, or not being on time for when the call to prayer is and stuff like that. Being on the verge of being conscripted into the army and his father just in time arriving back, his whole story, details of it, but that's to rescue him from that. Literally, his bag was on, on the truck to be taken. And those kids, all of them, you know, it was used as cannon fodder. And his He's survived because God has got a call in his life. And him coming here, leading worship, you know, finding his way eventually to Turkey, and now about to actually, after nine years, find it's been given asylum to America and they're going there. And, but his heart is to come back to Aleppo, and, but he's been encouraged to go get an education, get yourself prepared, and come back, you know. Just incredible how God is at work, but so awesomely beautiful that we can see it. And this, it was just amazing. But what we also encountered is, is the need. We saw the need. The need for more workers in the fields of God. The need for nations to be, to be discipled and for churches to be planted. And what we learned from this Live Dead Silk Road team, which is an incredibly effective team, from their inception or from... Within the last 10 years, they have seen over 400 people established in these um, Central Asian countries, establishing a community of believers to reach the unreached around them. That is, that is a beautiful 
testimony you know, of the effectiveness of their program and what they're doing. And all these people, as um, has been said, of such high caliber and quality, but it's not like any different from any one of us. It's just people who sim simply know what it means to be sold out for Jesus and to go. And what they taught us and what we've seen is that for you as a Christian to actually live an effective, impactful Christian life, you need to understand three principles of, the, of or values that so they say, what it means to abide, we've touched on that already, what it means to be abandoned to Christ, and then they use apostle, which is actually living a, a missional life. And so the, the concept of, of abiding, we know, John 15, that unless the branch abides in the vine, you can bear no fruit. So the focus is not on the fruit, our intentionality is on the abiding. And when we abide in him, and then that process of abiding is not something that is just natural. It actually takes some effort. There is intentionality that is required. There is sacrifice that is required. Because to spend time with God means that you've got to give up time with something else. So it's not a simple thing, but it is worth it all. I was just thinking of this baptism, I mean, um, discipleship course that Chris is speaking about. The people that have gone through that, you should hear their testimonies already. It, of course, it takes a, it's a cost, and it is there, but it is worth it all. You'll, you'll never look back and say, uh, you know, that was not <laughs> time well spent. So I wish I have done it earlier. That's really the thing of, of when we get to know this Jesus personally. And then, and then is this um, idea of understanding what it means to abandon. To abandon is Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and if you would have heard from him, said, when God calls a man, he bids him come and die. And it is understanding that the moment that you actually gave your life to Jesus or you receive Christ as your Savior, all these terms that we use, you die to self. That's what it means. Jesus himself said that if anyone wants to come after me and be my disciple, he doesn't say for those who really want to be serious about it or, you know, half growth. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must. This is Luke 9, 23. He must. He doesn't say this is a good suggestion or perhaps you should consider this. He must deny himself. And the Amplifier says, Lose sight of your own hopes, interests, dreams, and desires. That is deny self. And then it doesn't stop there. It says, and then follow me. And I think we miss that. We do maybe the other things and we say all of that, even with the deny self, but then you want Christ to follow you, God to follow you and, and bless your life and make your life what you believe the Christian life should look like. But Jesus said, follow me. He's on a mission. And he's, it is a great mission. If you go in, tuck in behind him, go with him. That's where the joy of life lies. If we become Christians for what we can get from it, it's not that you're not going to go to heaven, but you're going to have an ordinary, sad life, actually, on earth. Frustrated and never quite reaching what you think the idea should be. But if you know what it means to totally surrender your life to him, on a daily basis, is to take up your cross daily. It's not a one-off thing. It's a daily putting to death self and letting Christ live through you. Then you would have the most adventurous, exciting, enjoyable life, despite what the physical reality is of your life in suffering or whatever, because you live in a different realm of understanding what it means to be abandoned to him. And that's what these people demonstrated to us. We saw it, and it is beautiful to behold, just to see these people, and then um, the principle of, sorry, apostling. They use just to have another A, but it's basically to have the principle of a missional life. 
And really, this terminology of some Christians being missions, missionaries and others just being a normal follower of Christ is foreign to Scripture. You, you won't find it in Scripture. Each and every one of us is called to a missional lifestyle. We are called to be on mission. There's no such thing as a Christian and a missionary. We all are missionaries. When I was a student, we uh, read a book by a man called uh, Juan Carlos Ortiz, who has a disproportionate number of his congregation out in the nations of the world proclaiming the gospel. And his um, slogan of his church was, every believer a, a missionary, every Christian a missionary. We're all living missional lives every single moment of the day. That's what we're called to. And um, that commission, great commission of Matthew 28, is for all of us to go to all the nations of the world and to, to, and to baptize, submerge them in who the Son, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is, and then to teach them everything that he has taught us to obey. And that's what we saw. And as Stephen has said, we... Um, we're exposed to these people living a lifestyle of broad sowing. This concept of broad sowing comes from, the, from Jesus' parable of the sower, where he introduced it early. That's the first parable that was told to him introducing this new way of life after the Sermon on the Mount and that, that uh, he came to introduce you know, to us as this one new man and um, humanity of uh, being followers of Christ. And that, that whole parable is about the fact of broad sowing. We are called to generously and indiscriminately sow. We are not to, like Stephen said, be inspectors of the soil and decide which soil deserves a seed or not, or the right one We are to broadly sow. And then Jesus' intention with that parable is don't worry about the 75% that is actually not going to produce a harvest, but look and be encouraged by the 25% that would reach a, an exponential harvest that actually would blow your mind. In those days, the concept of a harvest was 8% return. He said it would return would be 30, 60, or 100-fold. That's exponential. That's the quality of the seed that we carry. So don't shackle it. Like Ingrid said, let it be spread generously, broadly to everyone. And it comes from a principle of you believing that every single person that your eyes meet with is worthy of Christ. If that stirs your heart, it's not difficult to throw off your inhibitions and things like that. But this person is worthy of Christ. This girl that Ingrid met, there are people all around. There's some, I want to tell them, desperate to know Christ. But they just don't know him because nobody's told them. Not because they've rejected him, but they've never heard him. So, so that's the thing. And then they have this idea of, of anywhere, any, any time, any place, you know, it's like, or anyone. It's just this, these principles that when, when it actually becomes part of your life, it's so natural. They've taught us to, as you enter into a conversation, look for the things they call it the simple, truthful statement. But you make a statement right up front that is, that is truthful, like in that situation, you can't come and say, I've come to, to you know, um, evangelize you. That's not. That's not he said, "I've come." You all the time. Why are you wearing it? And so, uh, you know, I love Kyrgyzstan, and I've heard it's so exciting, and I like the people, or whatever. You get this, but then you you learn to also think, think in advance, and how you're going to transition the conversation. 
So you would say, for instance, the thing of the mountain. And then they would say, oh, yeah, we've got these amazing mountains, or whatever. And then the next question is, you say to, to them, for instance, have you ever considered who made the mountains? You know? You've already told them that you're Christian, like he said in the first sentence, more or less. And then you say, have you ever considered that? And then they would <laughs> they'd say, no, what do you mean? You know? And then you've got your end. You can speak about creation and the God that created it and all that, and you've got your end. It's just, it's just a few things that you teach yourself and you can transcend these conversations into God conversations and then having Jesus early, often. It's something so beautiful and I think we can learn so much from that. And then we, in myself and um, Jesse at the one time have been, uh, the first time we did the broad saying together with a guy that was quite proficient and he's been there for two and a half years and um, so he could lead a lot of the conversation. And we still gave him the end because we're foreigners and it helps, you know, uh, that. And we, you, you encounter some that comes to nothing, some conversations that you just then move on from. Where two, where we got kind of nicely into the conversation and then the phone rang or somebody and they have to go or whatever. But then you just persist and you continue praying and see. And then we came across a, a guy who was actually a soldier, ex-soldier. And um, he that came out then that he's an atheist. And he doesn't believe, he had a friend who had believed, but it did nothing for him, you know, like Islam. And, but anyway, and then you come and, and you, you try to steer the conversation to a point where they, where they make a decision, whether they want further conversation or not. And then you just go with that. If they don't, at least you've given an opportunity to meet somebody, because like we've been said, none of the people we engage with have ever had a conversation with a Christian. They think Christianity is what they see from the West. So whatever the West is associated with, Hollywood, with all those things, that is Christianity to them. So, so they have never engaged. They don't know somebody that's got a personal relationship with Jesus. And so when you do that, at least now they know. But at many times it comes to the point where they are intrigued and want to know more. And then it gets followed up. And so the second time we went out, brought saying, I was with the guy who's only been there two months. <laughs> He's had very little language. And so we, we just had to trust <coughs> that God would help us find somebody who at least can speak a bit of English, whatever. And um, so we did a lot of the time just praying, walking around. But then we saw this, like they call us, taught us, you look for a man of peace, you know, somebody that's interested to engage. And as your eyes locked with them, there would be a rapport. And so we started this conversation. And it was just beautiful. <laughs> I don't know why I'm so emotional, sorry. But it, is just, it was just the most beautiful conversation that I basically had with this guy through Google Translate. And it started with the fact that he also intrigued with my compact. And then um, we spoke, and, and I said to him, yeah, I've come because, you know, I love Jesus. And I know Jesus loves the Kurdish people. And then he says, yes, he loves Allah. And Allah loves you, you know. And we had this um, thing. And he was actually really proud of being a, a Muslim and um, believed that God had placed him here to do good to all people and all this. But it was just a beautiful conversation where you could go. And I came <coughs> and I engaged him on the fact that can he experience the love of God? And he can't. And then I shared with him, and I said, you know, because he says all, all the things is based on he'll only know one day if he's done enough or anything. And I know a little bit of Islam, so it's helpful, so I could some of, some of the things. But, but then we came to assurance of salvation. I, spoke. I mean, the first conversation you've got of the person, and you can go that deep. That's just how hungry the world actually is out there. And we got to that point, and he had no assurance of salvation. 
Because he says, that depends on Allah, whether he's done enough good. And I said to him, that's the beauty of the God I serve. I can know, because it does not depend on me. It depends on Jesus, what Jesus has done for you. And, and I could see how his, his mind started spinning. And he, and he couldn't believe it. And he said to me, but I can't understand um, the Quran. Because they're not taught to try and understand the Quran. They're actually taught to say, uh, you know, to, to not try, because it's, it's confusing. If every of you, any of you read it, it contradicts itself. It's completely confusing. And I know, I know that the Quran also says that even Muhammad does not know what will become of him. It's one of the chapters 9, verse 46. And, and they, so, he, so he, when I said that to him, it intrigued him. And then, I, and then eventually we got to the point where I said to him, well, you can understand the Bible, and then you know that the imams even advise us that if you want more answers, which is the truth, in Islam they say, and you can't get the answers from the, from the Quran and the Aleifs, read the, the Gospels. They believe in the Gospels. So I said to him, this friend knows the Gospels, and he can explain more to you. And so that conversation went to that point, and before the next morning, um, I met the guy that was with us again. This chap had already contacted him to ask for a meeting. So the message that we have and we carry is that the need is great. And there's a need for workers to, to be out there. There are many people, um, you can maybe just put that one slide on. Our part in Turkey um, was, was really good. There's so, so many amazing things. I loved meeting the, the people there. I had the absolute honor of actually speaking to the, to the church there. And I shared just my heart for the unreached peoples. And on the basis of, I used eternity. And I said, eternity as a motivation to reach the unreached and the concept of eternity. And, and so it was beautiful, and like I said, to meet people from all different walks of life and ways, their stories were so rich. We could spend days just listening to all the stories of how God had actually saved these people and brought them there, and it, it was amazing. But um, I want to just skip down to, the, to the, the fact that I, I thought, just for us, fresh here, is that the way to be able, sorry, just when we were there in Turkey, the, that family that Janice spoke of, that we met there and had the meal with that they prepared for us, they, in the midst of that devastation, they went through the stuff and was telling us just the experience of experiencing an earthquake at four o'clock in the morning. It was pitch dark still. And you have this thing, the earth lifted a meter and dropped like a wave that came and sort of doof. <clears throat> and then everything just collapsed, obviously, with it. And some of them escaping, you know, finding themselves outside, pitch darkness. The city immediately knows it's a big city. It's like, uh, I think they said, uh, what's it, a million somewhere, or to four million, somewhere between there, one to four million people. So it's a big city. And that pitch dark, nothing. And you hear just people moaning, crying. You can, you can imagine that. The, the situation there. And that that carried on for up to seven days. They could hear people moaning and crying from under the rubble, but you're completely helpless. You, you can't move that. 
you know, all the reinforced steel bars and things. You can think there's a block there, but you, you cannot. And it was, the streets were covered, everything. So no aid could come in. And so the trauma that they went through, emotional trauma, but you know, when we spoke to them, what they needed most was not actually, they, they lost the households, they lost family members, and they're not looking to rebuild their lives. They actually just needed to speak to someone that can have compassion with them. And what I felt is, is just be like Jesus to them. That's all. They didn't want answers. They didn't want us to do a miracle. They didn't ask us for food, for anything. They just needed to be able to tell their story and know that there's someone who cares. And of course, that someone is Jesus. But they don't know him. And we can be the representation of Jesus to them. And I thought of Jesus' life. And you know, he, when you look at this ministry, he had, he had the ability to be present in every moment. When he healed people, he didn't just heal them and move away. He restored them to what the real deep need was inside. He connected with every individual. He saw everyone worthy of his time, his effort. When he was on height of his ministry, he reached that, um, you know, all people crowds around him. He came across a burial procession, and he interrupted it <clears throat> to minister to a widow. That widow of Nan is not referring to. That is Jesus. And Jesus was able to be present in the moment because he created margin in his day. He was never in a hurry. And I thought, just for me again, we started this year with this series on the easy yoke. And Jesus inviting us to take his yoke upon us and to learn from him. Remember, he was saying, if any of you are come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the message, one portion says, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And I thought that's the call of Christ to each and every one of us. To walk with them, work with them, learn the unforced rhythms of, of, of grace and just be Christ to people around us and live this missional lifestyle and we will fulfill the call of God on our lives. And I, and I thought the challenge to us again is how are you doing and how am I doing in adopting, not just wanting to be like Jesus because that comes from actually adopting his lifestyle. That was the whole challenge of this series. And his lifestyle is built around these principles, the principles or the disciplines of silence and solitude. We spoke about the need for abiding. Unless you abide in Christ, you will not bear fruit. But if you do, you will bear much fruit and fruit that will last into eternity. So how is your silence and solitude? The deliberateness of actually setting aside time to be with Jesus. You know, this guy was saying, this, um, the husband of the lady that invited us to a meal, he said in the first couple of days after the earthquake, there were thousands of people from all over the world coming in and to try and help. But it was nothing was structured. It was just chaotic. And he said, his words were, they were running around like people without heads. 
That was the direct translation of what he was saying. And I thought, you know, that, is, that, that could be us. Even us as Christians, we could sometimes be running around and just kicking up dust, like in that place, when we are not in connection with our head. We need to be in connection with the head to do the things that God has shown us to do. Those things that would bear fruit into, into eternity. And that connection comes from abiding, from knowing what it means to abide. Silence and solitude. So important. How about our Sabbathing? The rhythm of Sabbathing. Having a weekly rhythm in your life where you stop to behold Christ, to, to, to enjoy Him, and to celebrate His creation. That was the principle, the reason for Sabbathing, instituting the Sabbath. How are you and I doing? What about our challenge to simplicity? Have we simplified our lives? Not for the sake of minimalist, minimalism, but for the sake of creating space to behold Him and to be captivated by Him and to have our focus on Him. The one thing that we all need is Him more than any other, and we've got to do it. How are you and I doing in slowing down? I find myself still having to remind myself so often don't choose the shortest queue necessarily. You know, just build into your day, the deliberate thing or sometimes needing to wait to have that, that remembrance of slow down because it's only when we actually have margin in our life that we can be in present in the moment to be Christ, just to sit with a person that can share their heart and as a result of that, find the one that they actually truly need, which is Christ, which is in you and me. So... My last slide I want to show is this next one. You know that there are presently 8 billion people on the face of the earth. And of those 8 billion people, 2 billion confesses or professes to be Christians, which leaves 7 billion, I mean 6 billion, that if they were to die this very moment, will go to hell. But you know what the heartache for me of that is? Is that 3.15 billion of those will go to hell not because they have rejected the offer of salvation in Christ, not because they've rebelled against the will of God and wanted to follow their own, but because they've never heard of Christ. That is the unreached peoples of the world. And this picture, you can't see it so clearly from there, but what, what this cartogram is, it shows the, the size of the country in proportion to its unreached peoples instead of its geographical surface that it covers. So you can hardly see the Americas there. Can you see on the left? There are hardly people who have never heard the name of Christ or who it really is in the Americas. You see in Africa, it's a bit there. But you see that whole mass of Central Asia. It's disproportionate. 3.1 billion occupies those spaces because they've never heard Christ. They've never had a co contact with a person that actually believes that he is not just some prophet or some story or some man that once lived, but the Messiah, the one, the son of Jesus who has come because the Father loves us so much, loved this world so much that he sent him so that whoever puts their faith in him do not have to perish, but go and spend eternity in the presence of God. That is glorious. And we, me and you, have got that privilege of doing it, of taking him, and of demonstrating him to this world that is in desperate need of him. David Platt said this, 
is that somewhere along the way, we have subtly and tragically taken the costly command of Christ to go, baptize, and teach all nations, and mutated it into a comfortable call for Christians to come, be baptized, sit down, and listen. That's not the call. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The commission and the call on each of our lives is to know him and to go and make him known. Wherever God will send us or open up or show us, across the streets, across the borders, but to the uttermost parts of the earth. Amen. Thank you. Won't you stand with me, please, Red Point Church? Wow. Are you all still breathing? <laughs> I know it's been a long morning. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Can you guys that went to Kyrgyzstan just come forward, please? Um, just come forward and stand in front of me. Just wondering uh, this morning what God was doing in the house. So these guys are like burning with something. They, they, that's why when somebody gets saved, you send them into the mission field because they're going to tell others something's happened to me. So would you turn around now, you guys? And, and they, they're burning with something. Uh, Janice Tender, because she's been praying for years uh, about these persecuted and forgotten nations. Now she goes out there and you can feel the anointing. Steve, who's who's saying, well, what's your problem? Why aren't you going? It's, it's basic. And I could go on, Francois and Ingrid and Jesse, who's interested in, 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 in communities and geopolitics and all, all sorts of things. So um, close your eyes, everybody. They're, they're saying they, they want to sow an indiscriminate sowing in, and just sow. So won't you, in the, the five of you, reach your hands out over this congregation? And so, Lord, we, we receive their words. We receive their seed. We receive their message. When you planted this church, Lord, when this church was planted and you lit a fire and you put your lampstand, your, your commission was go to the ends of the earth. And many times, Lord, we've done it, but many times, other times, we've sat and we've just tried to build a good suburban life. But once again, we hear, Lord. We hear, Lord. So into our hearts. You're not beating us with a stick. You're sowing into our hearts. And so sow, Lord, O great sower, the seed of God, that this church will have a heart for regions beyond. 
Can you say amen, Red Points? You say amen, Lord. Thank you so much for going. Bless you all. Thank you so much for sharing and preaching. Guys, I trust you sobered. Albania next year. We're going to Albania. Only European Muslim nation. Yes, European Muslim nation. We're going to have a conference there. It's safe country. It's a little safer than this. I'm inviting you to Albania next year. You've got to start saving now. It'll be, it'll be a Genesis time together. But it'll give you a sniff into regions beyond. Come on. Come on. Don't get old and, 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 and just hoard. Begin to sow. Begin to, what, what did this trip cost you? What, what was it a cost per head? 40,000 rand. It's not a lot of money. We, we, we're buying stupid stuff. But let's, let's save some money and let's go to Albania or wherever, wherever actually you guys are going to start. You, France and Ingrid, together with your group, are going to begin to help us with mission to regions beyond. Albania is just one of them. I want to encourage you guys. Come. Can I say amen and close the meeting? I close the meeting and I thank God for you guys and have a wonderful Sunday. We thank the Lord for a, a victory yesterday, but uh, we're not talking about that yet. We, we thank the Lord for that, but we want to take the, the Springbok gospel to the nations of the earth. <laughs> amen. Bless you all.